Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. And today, back in the studio here live in Tampa Bay, as we have traveled literally across the country, as Martha and I met with business leaders, ministry leaders, people within organizations around the country, met with people, you know, not just business people. We met with professionals. We met with people that work from home. We met with all different kinds of people. We'll have a show coming up in the future, but literally Martha and I met with ministry leaders, business leaders, church leaders, and people at all different levels of organizations. And we drove 5,208 miles over the last couple of weeks doing shows from all over the country and grateful for your just support, and we're just so grateful to be back in Tampa Bay, where it's beautiful every day and sunny. And you know, it is—it's always exciting to start a show. It's exciting to be back in a studio. Today, we're going to focus on questions. Today, we're going to focus on the fact that most of us really have a national membership in Tellers Anonymous. No matter what we do, no matter how we do it, we just tend to—I don't know—I like to call it vomit on people everything that we think instead of asking questions and helping them to think for themselves as a marriage mentor and a business mentor i am guilty i i am guilty of being part of tellers anonymous and because of the conversation we're having today i am in the reformation process today on the studio on the line with us we've got today bob Teedy. he's an author he's a speaker he's a blogger and he's got a phenomenal uh, website called leadingwithquestions.com and he just wrote this book just recently called great leaders ask questions a fortune 100 list bob Teedy, welcome to i work for him Jim, it is my great pleasure. This is going to be fun. Uh, I don't, I hope you feel the way at the end. I know I had a lot of fun. I know well, I read a lot of books, Bob. I read a, a lot of books. That's like saying people eat food. I mean, I read mm-hmm. five, six, seven books a month, which some people go, I don't read five or six, seven books in a decade. Yeah, I read them a month. And I had fun from one end to the other reading your book because I'm so excited about the application. You've got questions in your book that are literally, I'm already using them, just mm. because it doesn't say in there, hey, you can't use these. These are all patented. I tell people, listen, I got them out of this book, and I bring the book with me, and I'm like, but I'm going to ask you these questions because I love to ask questions, but as a coach and a mentor, I have been guilty of being a teller, which I love what I love that part of your book. All right, so I want to this verse for today, James 1 5. If you need wisdom, wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will he will not rebuke you 
for asking. And because our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, were super-duper question-askers and question-answerers, I want to know, what question is the Lord asking you today that surprised you? Wow. Wow. Well, Jim, again, so great to be with you. Um, You know, this is such a simple question, and and you're profound the way you ask that. But again, it's in the book, but it's a question God's continually asking me, and that question is, what questions are you asking? Um, Now that, you know, I hope the listeners can follow us on this. Uh, Years ago, one of my friends said, I asked him if he'd been asking any new questions, and he said, well, matter of fact, there is one. And I said, well, I'm all ears. And he said, well, before I tell you, let me just tell you, you might not be impressed when you hear it. But he said, every time I ask it, the conversation goes deep, and leaders, 85 90% of the time, immediately have the answer. And the question he then shared with me is, what questions are you asking yourself lately? And I find, and you just asked that of me, and I'm going to answer, but I find that... Um, there's sometimes we haven't verbalized what we're asking ourselves to anyone. It's just kind of in there processing. And, uh, and that's why the conversation immediately goes deep. And uh, one of the questions that I am been asking myself lately, Jim, is just how can I continue to uh, sharpen my focus so that 80, 90% of my day, my time spent, is in the area in which I am most productive. You've, you've heard uh, what is many times referred to as the 20-80% rule, and that is 20% of our efforts produce 80% of our results. And so I've kind of taken that and said, well, what would happen if we could work in that area of productivity 80, 80% of the time? And... Uh, and so repositioning yourself so that, and that's the question I've been asking, how do I keep repositioning myself so that I am in the area of sweet spot, which is the area in which we use our spiritual gifts, we, we work in the area in which God designed us to flourish. Uh, and it, that is so powerful. And when you look at, then you put that question in the book. Hey, if, what if you spent 80% of your time working on what you are most effective at instead of 20% of your time working most effective. I can't even imagine what that would feel like. I know yeah. it would, I know it would involve never getting in my car wasting time behind the wheel. I know that's mm. for sure. But when you look at the power of asking questions, instead of giving everybody the answers, it's not that you don't have the answers. Often you can indicate that you have the answers by asking great questions. But if we're going to pass on wisdom, look at Solomon. Look at the question. That boy asked questions all the time. And Jesus asked so many great questions. And today's question is that we're going to have questions for you. In fact, we've got in studio joining me today, Ross Harrop, local C12 chair. He's the guy that hosts the C12 ministry in the marketplace every first Friday of the month. So Martha and I can have that three-day weekend, you know, kind of do our, our honeymoon every every month. Ross is a great partner in the ministry with I Work For Him. And Ross Harrop is the one who told me about our guest today, Bob Teedy. He's like, hey, do you get this guy's blog? I'm like, no, you should have this guy on the air. So I'm like, well, if Ross says to do something, you just say, 
do it. And I just do it. And that's what I do, Ross. When you say do it, that's what I do. If that were only true. Well, what have I not done that you've asked me to do? You have Bob on the radio. Let's get to it. Bob TD, welcome back to I Work For Him. Oh, it's my pleasure. And hi, Ross. Thank you for uh, putting this together. I'm just uh, amazed, Bob, that um, I get a lot of blogs and uh, I'm interested in them. But as I told Jim when when I was introducing you to him was that it has a 95% hit rate for me. And what I mean is most of these blogs that... uh, and information that you're sharing is from your friends and uh, allies in in this uh, um, this whole business of asking great questions. And uh, it's usually like 19 out of 20 that are that hit. And I say, I need to send this uh, out to uh, to one of my C12 members and uh, or a family member. So thank you so much for this incredible oh. ministry. My, my absolute pleasure. All right, so Bob, the question. Martha said she saw on your blog today that you've got a contest for your favorite question to ask at Thanksgiving. Now, I'm not going to tell you mine because I want to win the contest. No, I know I'll be excluded because I've had you on the radio. <laughs> but what, you know, talk to me about what is your favorite question to ask at Thanksgiving? Well, gosh, there's so many. And, and this is the fourth year that we've run this contest. Okay, so man, let and, me change the question. Let me change the question. What's been the best submission the one out of one of the last two or three years? Well, one of my favorite, and, and there's so many, and, and again, they're simple. But one of them is thinking back through the last year, what gift that you gave to someone else have you been most thankful to give? You know, so often we think of what gift have I received? But, uh, you know, one of the uh, people that won submitted that question. What gift have you given that you've been most thankful to give? And uh, just uh, I understood why it won. It's just a fabulous question. Um, and so that, that's one of them. Uh, another one is what has been the most difficult thing to thank God for this year? <laughs> and, you know, Scripture says to give thanks in all things, and certainly there's times that uh, life is difficult. And, uh, again, imagine you, you want meaningful conversation around that table. We're all going to have turkey, and uh, there's going to be pumpkin pie, and uh, there'll be talk of uh, Black Friday and and football. But to have your family go beyond that, to enjoy some meaningful conversation. That's why we put this contest together. So, um, All right, so tell, people, before, tell people, Bob, how they can get involved in this contest. Well, go to my blog, leadingwithquestions.com. I just checked, and it's up. Sweet. You just go to leadingwithquestions.com, and on today's post at the bottom, we share about the contest. And there's a place right on the blog where you can submit uh, in the comment section, share your favorite question to ask at Thanksgiving. Or uh, when I say make one up, I'm saying, you know, sit there and think, what would be a great question, and submit that. And, of course, all entries will be considered, and uh, those selected are going to get a written copy, a uh, printed copy of Great Leaders Ask Questions. 
along with the uh, CD audiobook. They'll get both things as our appreciation. But in turn, you know, Jim and Ross, they're going to be helping families all across the nation with giving them great questions for Thanksgiving. We will have a special blog announcement of this or post on Wednesday morning, the day before Thanksgiving. So that'll be November 23rd. Plenty of time to uh, get those questions ready. Wow. Okay. So leading, leadingwithquestions.com, leadingwithquestions.com. If you've got a favorite question you'd love to ask around the Thanksgiving dinner table, whether you're eating turkey or ham, as I know a certain family member of mine will be having ham for, th- for Thanksgiving dinner, just because they can. So, and I know there's also people out there, hamburgers and hot dogs are, you know, because here in Florida, it could be a barbecue. So, you know, don't be put off by Bob's statement that everybody's going to have turkey because I know that some of you just don't like it. And I only like it for Thanksgiving. All right. So, Bob, you wrote this book, Great Leaders Ask Questions. We're going to give away a copy and a couple of audio copies uh, on the air a little bit later on the show. How did you enter yourself into Tellers Anonymous? Wow. Well, first of all, I have a confession. And, um, you know, they say confession's good for the soul and bad for the reputation. I'm going to risk it here today. But uh, I've been on the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, for 45 years. And uh, back in 2006, I read a book that forever changed my paradigm. But I realized prior to that, prior to 2006, the confession is I was a benevolent dictator. And uh, not out of evil intent. I love my staff, but I thought the job of a leader is to lead, to set the direction, to, you know, kindly tell people what needs to be done, and and to provide that direction. So you told, 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 tell, tell, tell. In 2006, I came across a book called Leading with Questions, same name as my blog now, written by Dr. Michael Morkwart. That book for me was a page-turner, and as I read that book, a paradigm shift in my leadership, I mean, in essence, he shared that a leader could be 10 times more effective if they asked their staff, what do you think, versus telling them what to do. And uh, the leader who asks benefits from all the brain power in the room. Rather than thinking, you know, all the answers and direction need to come from his or her brain, the leader's brain. Well, that immediately made sense to me. And uh, as I said, you know, I'd been a charter member of Tellers Anonymous, and now I'm a recovering teller. But Jim and Ross, I also say that the temptation to tell has never left me. <laughs> and uh, and my blog and uh, my book are part of my recovery effort. We're talking today with Bob Teedy. He's written this incredible book, Great Leaders Ask Questions, a Fortune 100 list. You can find out more about Bob and his and sign up for his daily blog, leadingwithquestions.com, leadingwithquestions.com. So tell me, how, as you have shifted your paradigm from being a teller to being a, a great leader that asks questions, how has it impacted your part of Campus Crusade, which is now called Crew? Well, I mean, it, it's just a 180-degree shift. It's a 180-degree shift. And, and what I'm going to share is actually true of, of any organization. 
But I, I, when I speak, I ask kind of this silly question. I said, imagine, now you're the leader, and you're in a rowboat with seven of your staff. There's eight of you all together, and your goal is to get to the other side of the lake as quick as possible, and everyone has an R. How many of uh, your team would you hope would also be oaring or rowing with you? Well, you'd hope that everybody would be rowing with you. You would. It's like, you know, Bob, a no-brainer question. Do you have anything more difficult? And I say, I do. Why then, as a leader, again, we'll give you a team of seven, would you, and you're, you're thinking, how do we move this, uh, this boat forward? But not on the water, but in, you know, in the organization, whatever the issue, whatever the responsibility is. How do we move this across the lake quickly, as quickly as possible, efficiently? Why would you want to be the only one to try to figure that out? That would be like, you're the only one that's going to row. Why wouldn't you want to ask the team, what do you think? And again, access all the brain power on the team to find the best way, the most efficient way. Plus, there's another benefit. And of course, Ross and Jim, you know that. And that is when the team begins to contribute to the plan, they own it. So it's now they're just not doing Jim's plan. They're doing our plan. And, uh, and they do end up getting across the lake more efficiently. And so, you know, it's to me a, a no-brainer. And so um, in crew... Again, we've had some incredible leaders, and there's so many things. Our founder, Bill Bright, now in heaven, what an incredible man of faith. Uh, he inspired us in so many ways. And I'm sure there was a number of questions he asked. Our, our present leader, Steve Douglas, again, men of faith, vision. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've seen in, in both of them is they have an entrepreneurial spirit and they're so, uh, what would I say, comfortable in their own skin that they, uh, they don't have any problem having staff who have an entrepreneurial spirit and, uh, and encourage them to go for it. And so, you know, there was great freedom, still is great freedom in, in Campus Crusade now called Crew for our staff to have vision and to be able to go for it, not to feel like they're under the thumb. And so in some way, that did foster that, that openness. But uh, I know for many of us, though, uh, we were on the benevolent dictator side and because that's what we thought needed to be done. And we're seeing a whole new era in which staff are seeing the value of asking questions, asking questions and, and presenting the gospel is another uh, example. You know, sometimes as we present the gospel, somebody will say, well, are you one of those people that think, if I don't believe just like you, I'm going to hell? Well, one of my staff associates very kindly would say, oh, so you believe in hell? And uh, sometimes they say, well, no. And he said, well, I'm curious. Why would you ask that question then? And he doesn't do it to put them down, but to begin to engage them. In other words, not every question asked has to be answered. Sometimes you can respond with another question. Tell me more about why you would ask that. And as you can begin to have a conversation, you know, in some ways it's the same thing as the story of the woman at the well. Jesus asked her questions. 
And uh, she, in turn, asked, but he didn't necessarily answer. He he responded by asking her some questions. And so there's just uh, all of that value. I'm rambling here a bit, Jim. But, well, it, uh, you know, but what you're saying is so true, and it's so important. And Ross is, you know, he's trying to jump at the microphone as well. But it is asking questions, it will transform society. Because what it does is instead of everybody thinking they got to figure it out, we work together as a team. It builds community, whether that's community in your own home, community in your own neighborhood, community in your family, community in your workplace, whatever that workplace looks like, because we all have the ability to ask mm. questions. And yeah. and within the church, where there's not, that's, that you know, I had a guest on that wrote a book, Canoeing the Mountains, a guy named Todd Bolzinger that wrote this book about, hey, just because we've done church the way we've done it for the last 50 years doesn't mean it'll work anymore. We got to ask questions. We got to ask. We have to redefine what does it mean to bring people into the into the the four walls of the church, the little C, yep. as they describe yep. it. And, and but asking questions, it's what Jesus did. And and the beautiful part is when we ask the Lord questions, He'll answer those questions if we're patient enough to get the answers. Uh, Jim, yeah. Just before we went on that last break, you mentioned moms, and I'm sure there's lots of moms that listen to your show, and and I love it when I encounter moms especially you say moms that have children at home. And, uh, and I'll many times say to them, uh, do you know that your mission and my mission is identical? And um, by the way, my mission is to develop the next generation of leaders for the Lord. And when I share that with a mom and say, you know, you and I have the same mission, I see them smile and say, you're right. And uh, it's one of my ways just to encourage moms. But there's another story. Uh, it was actually a mom on uh, on my team, and we'd been doing leading with questions, and uh, I'd done a, a, a workshop the day before, and we came in the next day, and, and leading with questions, it wasn't on the agenda, but we were kind of just sitting down to house everybody this morning, and she volunteered. She said, I have to thank Bob. And she said last night, now she actually had a son who was maybe 24, 25. He was now in the workforce. And she said, thanks to this emphasis on leading with questions, I think I had the best conversation I've ever had with my son. And she said, you know, whenever he calls and he tells me what's going on in his life or what's going on at work, she said, my normal pattern is to say, "Uh, Johnny, here's what you need to do. And I tell him what I think he ought to do in every one of those situations. Well, she said, last night he called, and I thought of what I've learned. And instead of telling him, the first question, I said, well, Johnny, tell me more about that. And so he told me more. And then I said, well, Johnny, uh, what what do you think you should do? Mm. And he began to answer. And I said, wow, Johnny, that, that's good. I mean, keep talking. How would you do that? And she said, I didn't tell him anything last night, but I think it was the best conversation I've ever had with my son. Oh, but it's so hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, you've got four kids and six grandkids. At least that's what the last bio I got from you is. It's so hard to not want to give your input and to ask questions, but especially, I mean, I'm... I mean, I'm speaking to myself. I have such a hard time with that. Bob, where did this passion yeah. come from? Where where did it begin? Well, as I shared earlier, it really began when I stumbled across 
Dr. Michael Morcourt's book, the same name, Leading with Questions. And when I began to read that book, uh, you know, I began perusing it at a bookstore and in minutes said, oh, this one, this one's a keeper. I'm buying this one. And I took it home and I devoured it that weekend. And I immediately, I think even that weekend, put my first PowerPoint presentation, because when I hear something great, I can hardly wait to share it with somebody else. And so, you know, I began to share it, and it had such incredible response. And I began to practice it in terms of asking questions instead of just being a teller, instead of just being an orator. And, uh, you know, of course, the four Gospels contain 173 questions that Jesus asked. And, and I don't know about you, but uh, I ask a lot of questions because I don't know the answers. But the Lord Jesus never asked a question he didn't know the answer to. So he must have had another reason to ask. And that was because it engages people. I was just sharing with a group yesterday. I asked them a question. I said, how does the story of the Good Samaritan end? And uh, they, they seemed to be stumped for a moment. I said, it would be helpful if I gave you an A and a B, so you can choose one or the other. I said, did it end by A, Jesus said, therefore, the Samaritan was his neighbor? Or did it end B, by Jesus asking a question, who then was a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Well, they immediately got it. It was B. (laughs) And I said, uh, I asked them another question. I said, now, how many of you have just this terrible hatred for Samaritans? Well, the reality, living where we live, that far apart, we know the name, but none of us have any hatred for Samaritans. We we actually don't have any feelings for them. But we know that Jesus was talking to Jewish people, and in that day, they hated the Samaritans. So Jesus Jesus tells his story, and the hero is a Samaritan, and he asks a Jewish person, who then was the neighbor? And they had to give the answer. How powerful that he ended with that question, not with, uh, therefore, uh, the Samaritan was the neighbor. So Just we, an example. Absolutely. It's a great example and, and a reason why we should um, take this on as our own behavior. So why is it, Bob, that we learn from an early age that we have to have the answers. Where, where does that come from? Um, just Obviously, you've studied this, so give, give our, our listeners a, just an insight, because they're trying to figure out, how, why the heck am I a, a guy that has to have all the answers? You know, th- this is a guess, and uh, I certainly don't want to say, oh yes, I have the final word on this one. Well, you do today, per- Bob. <laughs> okay, well, perhaps you've heard, you referred to your five-year-old brother, and they say that children, before they enter kindergarten, ask over 200 questions a day, but that the average college graduate only asks 20. And uh, when I begin to think, and, and again, uh, there's so many wonderful teachers, and I, I hope they will not be offended by this, um, it was kind of like I led with telling because I thought that was the way you did it. I didn't know there was another way. And so often, you know, your brother age six, age five, he ends, he goes to kindergarten. He's asking questions, and his kind teacher says, Johnny, 
it's my job to ask the questions. It's your job to give the answers. Well, he hears that enough time, and he slowly quits asking so many questions. He realizes, I'm not supposed to ask questions. I'm supposed to give answers. And uh, I think that carries on, and they see the teacher as a leader, and that continues, I mean, right on through university. And uh, then they step into the workforce, and our leaders, again, not evil people, not bad people, they continue that paradigm until somebody comes along and challenges that paradigm, and uh, and they begin to see another way, and they say, oh, my goodness, how did I miss that? Yeah, so, so that's, important. That's my take. Absolutely, so important. We're talking today with Bob Teedy. He's written his book, Great Leaders Ask Questions. And uh, when, Bob, as I was reading through this book, one of the, I, I kind of summarized your questions into categories. Questions to ask yourself, questions to ask your employees or people that report to you about your business, questions to ask your employees or people that are reporting to you about you, uh, questions to start great conversations and to learn about people, and questions for your coach or your mentor or your discipler to ask you. So I, but I came up with a favorite set of questions that I loved. I mean, I, I loved the question that you ask people to ask themselves: What are you tolerating? What would what would it look like if you were no longer tolerating it? What is the one thing you know you need to do to remove this energy drain? And when are you going to get about doing that? That <laughs> if everybody listening today would ask that question, what are you tolerating? Oh my word, our our lives would be transforming Christ at at a much more rapid speed. And sometimes it's things as simple as a dripping faucet. And uh, we just keep putting up with it. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, some personal organization stuff, and we just keep putting up with it. And uh, so it is a fabulous question. I mean, everybody will have a different answer on the things that they're tolerating that they know they shouldn't. Well, and then there's some, my next set of questions comes from, you know, questions I think people should be asking at church. You know, and the leaders of the church should be asking the people in the church, hey, what, what do I, as the leader, as the lead pastor, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? I think if every leader in America would ask their people, whatever kind of an organization you're involved in would ask those questions, what do I need to start doing, stop doing, do more of and do less of? Wow. It would... I mean, it really makes some big, big differences. Ross, when you went through this book, there's a section on uh, starting great conversations. And I don't remember what page it's on, but he asked this question. What is the most meaningful thing that has happened to you since we last met? I mean, if I I asked you that question, would we ever be able to get on to what we probably met for? I think that that's what's exciting about this is you don't have to. You sometimes when you're at, at, at an event, and, and I just didn't know what to say because they're so much smarter than me, and and everyone loves someone that is that that just draws you in. Just mm. tell me. I, I, that's the that's the question for me, Bob. Which is is you, you're not an expert in this area, but you just have such a passion for it. That's what. You know, that's why I keep asking the question, where does that come from, that passion, to share it with others? And you got 30 seconds to answer that question. Well, well, the fact is when you begin to ask and people begin to answer, you find out incredible things about people. I hope when we come back, 
I can share something. I asked the question. It's a simple question of a guy that I've known for 10 years. I asked him, what are the three or four events of your life that have most shaped your life? So, Bob, tell us about that question that you love to ask about those three or four events and in, in, in any individual's life that have shaped their lives to bring them to where they are today. Tell us about how you do that. Well, my good friend Neil, who is uh, one of the men I coach, uh, he's on the staff of crew in Canada. We've known each other for 10 years. And I'd heard this question, and I said, I'm going to ask Neil. And so I said, Neil, what are the three or four events that have most shaped your life? And his first answer, he shared something I had no idea. I never knew. He said, well, Bob, did you know that uh, my birth father died when I was like eight or nine months old? And he said, the, the man who raised me, my stepfather, my mother later remarried, you know, is the one that I identify as my father, because that's the one I remember. But he said, I've been told by grandparents, by my mother, by aunts, that in my birth father's last week of his life, he held me in a big recliner and continuously prayed over me that God, he knew he would be passing, but that God would be a father to this little boy. Well, as Neil shared that, we both teared up. And I thought, oh, my goodness, thank God for this question. I would have never known this. So that's a, a man that I love and appreciate. But knowing that answer just brought us even closer. Well, let's, add, let's, uh, all let's of us state love to be known. Let's state that question because really, this is a question. You know, for the people, whether they're your best friends or whether they're your neighbors, whether they're the people that work for you as a leader, wherever that may be, even your own children. Because you, will, I, you know, if you're a parent listening today, I'll guarantee you, you don't know the answer to this question. You don't because you don't know what your kids think. But do you know the three or four events of your life? that have shaped who the, who you are today? We're asking that question of the leader. Do you know the three or four events of your people's lives that have shaped who they are today? Bob, that question is transformational because if leaders would understand that, it would totally permanently shift the paradigm oh. on how they look at people. You know, the great thing about all the questions is uh, I call them turnkey ready questions. You can read it, and in the next uh, minute, you can turn around and ask somebody the question. It's not like you have to go to school on this and, you know, on some like, uh, sometimes I think people think, well, I'd love to learn to lead with questions, but they imagine you have to get a master's in questionology. And it's, you know, far beyond their reach. And what I love is, no, there are questions you hear them once and you can turn around and use them immediately. And so let me give a plug for the book. And Jim asked me earlier uh, a couple of times why I like the book so much is there's, I don't have to read a chapter to get to that one or two questions that I can use. Bob, because of how you've created this book, every page has a series of questions, and, and I just need to pick up the page, open the book, and I, I've got another tool for my toolbox. It's incredible. This is amen. <laughs> you, you have you, this is genius, Bob. Bob well, Tedi, we're, we're, we're done. Sorry, <laughs> I apologize, okay. Bob. We're out of time. Bob Tedi, thank you so much for being on the show today. We're going to have to do this again. I'll get in touch with you, but this was fabulous. I'm sorry that we were out of time. To it. But Bob Tedi, thank you so much for being an I work for him. My pleasure. 
All right, you've been listening to I Work For Him as we talk with Bob Tedi about his book, Great Leaders Ask Questions. You can find out more about Bob online at leadingwithquestions.com. That's leadingwithquestions.com, leadingwithquestions.com. Ross, thanks so much for jumping in on the on the conversation today and introducing me to Bob Tedi. That was fantastic. It's great to be with you, always. All right, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, just the challenge for the day. Have you joined the I Work For Him Nation? Have you made the commitment to start praying for those people that you work alongside each and every day? Start doing that, and it will transform your workplace. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, but I work for him.